You're listening to the Reinvest Podcast, where each Tuesday we will show you how to reclaim, reconnect, and refocus your life by bringing you the top real estate professionals in the industry. We'll pull back the curtain so you can implement these tools and tactics to build generational wealth. Your host, Garrett Gatton and Seth Simonillo. Hey guys, thanks for jumping on to another episode of the Reinvest Podcast. As of uh, today, at the time of this recording, we just had another investor meetup. Uh, got to pull back the curtain with a commercial real estate lender, and uh, that was really constructive. Uh, what was one of the big takeaways, Seth, from our meetup last night? The pain's not over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I think lenders are just as uncertain as everybody else. So, I mean, they don't know what's coming really as much as we would like to think they do. And yeah. we kind of look to them to be like, hey, what's what's kind of the next thing? Where, where are interest rates moving? When are things going to get easier for us investors? And really, um, they don't know. And I think one thing he said, his one quote was, um, real estate investing is just opportunity mixed with problems. Yeah. Or what was it? Yeah, business is uh, is opportunity mixed with problems or challenges. And I kind of like that. I kind of yeah. like that. It was just kind of like, oh, so in any environment that you're in, I mean, you're always going to deal with something. So, yep. um, but it was a it was a great time, great meetup. Yeah, that was really good. So, um, just a little shameless plug there. If you're in our area, uh, third Thursday of every month, uh, or if you're not, go find a real estate meetup. They're uh, just great to be around like minded people. So. But we have a great guest today. Uh, all right, in a, in a freaking sweet name. So uh, Stash Galazinski. Did I get it right? You, go. you got it. Let's go, man. So you're, you're our brother just down south in Cincinnati. <clears throat> Stash, give us an intro behind the man, the myth, the legend. Who are you? How'd you get into real estate? And we'll have some fun today. Yeah, um, awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Stash Gelzinski. I'm the managing director of um, Capstone Company's uh, Cincinnati office. Um, I've got a team of probably six guys. Um, yeah, six guys here in in my office, and we cover generally Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Uh, focus on multifamily investment properties and development sites for multifamily properties, um, and that means basically anything except. Uh, manufactured housing. We don't really do any mobile home mm -hmm. parks, but Litech, Senior, um, Market Rate, ABC. Um, and we try and focus on uh, opportunities 50 units and up, but you know, sometimes you get something smaller and sometimes right. you get something significantly larger. So just wherever, wherever, wherever the opportunities take you. Um, so that's kind of professionally, uh, we've been with Capstone since 2016, uh, Sharif, Nate, and myself came over and started this office. Um, and how I got into real estate, I was, uh, I grew up in New Hampshire and I'm sorry. Uh, my, <laughs> <laughs> my mom was a, a residential agent. And she was successful at her craft. Um, unfortunately, she passed when I was younger, so I wasn't able to, you know, work with her. Wow. Uh, but I was like, okay, real estate, I think that's a thing that I want to do. And then I figured out that commercial real estate was a thing. And I was like, oh, well, that's great, because I didn't want to drive people around in my minivan on Saturday. So, <laughs> um, that actually is a true stereotype, so... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's what she had. You just described residential real estate in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I went to school in upstate New York. Uh, I went to St. Lawrence. And then I went to Boston for a year, 
tried to get into brokerage there through working, you know, the limited network I had at the time. Was that competitive? Super competitive. Um, and what I learned is that in the brokerage community, uh, there, if you didn't play hockey or go to BC that you had, a, or had a dad already in it, you had a very slim chance of getting in. Wow. Um, and I met with all the shops. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't get anything. So I was like, all right, well, you know, I've been in, you know, new England, the majority of my life, let's, the goal was to be in Southern California and to be in commercial real estate. Mm. And so I, was, I had some friends who um, were out there and I was like, I'm just going to, I set a date and I, I moved across the country. I just wow. flew out and Whoa. had my car shipped. And um, how do you ship a wild. car? It's like 600 bucks. It's not unreasonable Seriously? at all. Wow. Yeah. I might just try that. I don't um, know. That's probably cheaper. Yeah, that's like way cheaper almost than if you're going to go on a vacation for a couple of weeks than getting a car rental. Well, I mean, and think about it. how yeah. cheap it would be to ship your Fiat. Probably like a buck fifty because of how little it is. All right, so. not that small. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I got. I, I ended up in Santa Barbara, where um, my mom's family's from, and I got my license in February of 2008. And so, like, I showed up, I was super excited, and, you know, the party was over. Yeah, what happened in 2008? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, like, so I, I got in, I was working as essentially like an apprentice or a junior for this guy, and he wasn't much older than I was, but he saw my hustle and, and work ethic and was like, do you want to buy an apartment building? And I was like, absolutely, that's that's why I got into this. And so we um, syndicated a 33 unit. Huh. And we were going to buy a 28 unit at the same time. Um, this is back in 2008? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was wow. like August 29th was our, you know, scheduled close date. And um, I remember I woke up and the ra the radio was my alarm. And it said, Washington Mutual has just declared bankruptcy. And they were supposed to be our lender. And I was oh like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot, but <laughs> I don't think that that's good. You like called your partner. You're like, I'm not even sure what this means. But I was like, I Josh, need to find what, a new lender. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, wow. And so we ended up only buying one of the two. Uh, we had, we worked out a seller financing deal. Nice. Um, and it, it was all right. It worked out. You know, we, we got our investors out whole. We didn't make the, the returns that we thought because the right. economy at the time. Um, so, you know, I kind of bounced around um, Southern California a little bit after that because um, things – my partner actually left. He's like, I got to go get a job. I have a wife and kids <laughs> yeah. on the way. And, right. You Just know, with how no much money things coming. slowed down after the financial yeah. crisis. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, you know, I worked so hard to get in. I don't want to give up now. Right. And so I found an opportunity here. And I was going to syndicate it similar to what we had done back there. And uh, so I came here, had it under contract and, uh, Cincinnati. it was, yeah, okay. it was here in Cincinnati. It's a heavy C class deal. Mm. Uh, so I was like, you know, you need somebody in town to manage the manager because right. we had done a 40 unit at, at the same time. Um, and we did that on a master lease with a purchase option and, the what I learned pretty quickly is that um, 
third-party property managers are not bad, but they are people, and they're looking out for their own best interests. <laughs> I loved how carefully selected each word was. You're like, <laughs> looking for the right words. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, if we're going to buy this deal, which is you know, in a uh, up-and-coming section of town, uh, <laughs> we we need somebody on site to manage the manager, essentially. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I volunteered because I didn't have anything else going Seriously. On. So you were like the on-site asset manager. Yeah, that's what I was going to be. Wow. And so wow. I got here. We were under contract. The receiver was managing it, and we were 70% in climbing. And by the time the court approved it, it was like 50% and falling in oh. occupancy. And my partner was like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. And I was like, Whoa. but I'm already here. I've, I've, I've already picked up and moved. He's oh, like, no. sorry. What gosh. year was this? Uh, 2011. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? <laughs> You're like, well, at least I have an apartment lined up. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Um, so what did you do? I just picked up the phone and started cold calling again. Wow. That's the only thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it took me a couple of years to get traction, um, learn some lessons, you know, in, in those early times. Cause I didn't, you know, the beauty of commercial real estate brokerage, uh, is that nobody's going to tell you what to do, but the downfall of brokerage is that nobody's, nobody's going to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I had some, some tough learnings and I, I, I ended up signing up for a coaching program, uh, through the Massimo group. And, um, that, you know, it could have been timing, could have been time in the market, but I went from like, you know, I think my first year I did like 20,000 in gross. My second year I did 40 and then I did like a buck 50 in mm, gross, wow, or maybe wow. I took home a buck 50 and I was like, man, this is great. Wow. Um, and then it's just, you know, been keeping that wheel running ever right. since, but it takes two years, you know, at least two years, if you're lucky and, and right. conditions are right to get traction. Isn't it funny but, how, like, that just seems to be a recurring theme in anything that you're starting, it will not happen sooner than two years. Like as a rule, it's going to take at least two years. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think tough because a lot of, I don't, YouTube, social media, I don't know what's preconditioned us to think it's going to happen faster, but we take this very kind of like, I don't know, instant mentality yeah, well, and apply it to entrepreneurship. Instant gratification. So, you know, food, you know, instant food, instant everything, you know, instant right. ne- shows on demand, Netflix, you know, you don't have to wait for anything. So I think people kind of naturally get some false premises when they're starting a business that, hey, it's going to take a couple months, but then I'll yeah. be, then I'll, then I'll be there. And it's really hard to to face twenty four months and say if I yeah. can just make it through twenty four months, I have a I have a shot at well. And let's this. let's debunk all the people on YouTube, the sham wow people who, by the way, they <laughs> want you to think that it's quick and easy because they are profiting off of your engagement with their content. Uh, and so I just would take that with a grain of salt when somebody is saying that you can do something faster than two years. Yeah. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, and I think that those exceptions are probably highlighted a lot. And that's why that's fair. You, that's why we're b- bombarded with these messages of, yeah. yeah, you can do, I did this in 
two months. And yeah. it's like, what? How? And the other thing that they don't advertise or tell you is, okay, like maybe you hit it in two months, but like, what's your background leading up to it? Right. Like, do you, did you have a natural skill set? Or, or not even a natural skill set, but did you, are you making a move from one thing to another mm-hmm. that um, allows you to just pick this up like second nature? Right. Or a pre established uh, network that can easily yeah. be leveraged. Does your dad own 10,000 units? <laughs> <laughs> I got 100 doors in three months. You can yeah. too. My dad gave them to me. But, well, you know, I, we were talking about Jared Sturm. Uh, yeah. And you were talking about how you were getting uh, coffee or, or lunch with him. But um, his story, you know, he said on our, when we recorded with him a few weeks ago, he's like, listen, I my story isn't like uh, a really sexy story. <laughs> it's like we just grinded and did the right things long enough. And, you know, he's seeing the compound effect of that now. And, uh, but I look at your story and it, you, the grit, uh, and you didn't get it yeah. on the first try. So how long have you been, <laughs> or the second, but how long did you, uh, have you been doing the broker thing then from when you got your license in California to now? Well, I got, I got it first. I got my first license in February of 2008. Um, and then, you know, here we are in 2024. Mm-hmm. So I've been somehow in a brokerage capacity, more or less, especially since 2011. Um, you know, this, this has been my, my full-time job. Yeah. Uh, so you know, here in market here in Cincinnati, um, since 2011 and, you know, at first it was whatever I could get my hands on, Yeah, you know, a couple of 10 units here and there, um, some bank deals. Um, and now it's like, it's still whatever you can get your hands on, but it's mm-hmm. a different, it's different because instead of making cold calls now, I'm calling on folks so i've been t- i've been calling on for 10 years and some right. of them i still haven't really connected with but some of them it's like you're calling a friend hey man yeah. what's up what are you doing i was just th- i was thinking about you like what about this what about that yeah so that's good that's good well yeah. one of the reasons i'm excited today is because we can kind of talk broker to broker commercial real estate agent to commercial real estate agent and from an investor perspective so our audience you know one of the big topics that gets brought up is how do you establish rapport with a broker so that mm-hmm. they could be a possible lead funnel and you could source deals from that relationship. I know no one's yeah. ever tried to do that with you before. <laughs> so <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek because uh, there are do's and there are do nots in the way that investors yeah. and clients approach brokers. Okay. Okay. And I, I want to pull back the curtain from a broker perspective of what are some of those do's and don'ts. So walk us through some of the biggest mistakes that investors make that you could speak to our listeners and say, guys, if you're trying to source deals from a broker, don't do this. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And there are... Um, it's like, where do I start? I, I have one. I'm going to jump in because as as yeah. you were talking, I, I just thought of one. Kick us off. Yeah. And all investors out there, I love you. Um, You guys are all amazing. But I can't tell you how many times in my short stint in real estate where I've had investors who might be local, might not be local, but they've never done a deal with me. They actively use another agent in the area. 
And then they're like, but if you have anything that would be a good flip opportunity, uh, send me that great deal and I'll list it with you after I'm done flipping it. And I'm like, don't you think I would use someone that's already in my network, already using me? You know what I mean? It just, it blows my mind that they're just like, give me the cream of the crop and I'll give you an attaboy on the other side of that. And I'm like, I have other active clients that are actually actively using me and supporting my business. And, but I, I bet, I, I kid you not, it's been like 20 or 30 times people have probably said that in the last two years. So it's, it's, kind yeah, of, kind they of come wild. in cold and, and hold that carrot as though it's, oh, really? You would? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay. So, so like, I guess translate that to kind of to your experience. Um, when somebody's approached you with that, uh, how does that contrast with the people that have been successful in coming in cold to a relationship with you? Well, I think that there is a misconception about brokers is in that we're all created equal and we're not. Not all brokers are the same. There are some that are really good uh, and there are some that are really bad. And those that are not that great tend to tarnish the reputation uh, or the perception of those that show up every day Mm -hmm. and work really hard. Um, so I think that it's the mindset and how you approach them first because we're people, right? Like, first of all, we're people. So let's just remember that. Cause I think sometimes it's, um, just gimme, gimme, gimme. And there has to be, it has to be a two way street. Um, and so those that have been successful, um, understand that and they participate in a two-way transaction. It's got to be a win-win for both sides. So what does a two-way transaction look like? That's a good question. I mean, um, so are we talking about buyers or are we talking about sellers? Let's go buyers. Let's start with buyers. All right. So buyers, um, the interesting thing with buyers that I've seen, and we were just talking about this morning, um, so we just got back from NMHC, which is the National mm-hmm. Multifamily Housing Council. And it's when, you know, me and 7,000 of my closest apartment friends get together <laughs> and talk about deals, you know. Um, and this year is really great because I'm talking to people that I've been talking to for 10 years, right? And so it's like just re-seeing friends. But, you know, what we tried to do is capture as much data as we could on buyer criteria, you know, what are you guys looking for, especially in this kind of uncertain time? Right. And so we took that back and um, uh, pushed out some opportunities that we have. And, you know, the classic thing is, yeah, I want to be in Columbus. And then you send them something that would be in their wheelhouse, vintage, unit mm-hmm. count, uh, area, uh, school district, all these things, city, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like that deal for whatever reason. Right. And it's like the thing that I found is that somebody will tell you a very specific set of criteria, and you think, great, I can bank on that. And then you bring that back, and you say, here's a deal that fits all of your, it checks all of your boxes, it's all of your criteria. You have no excuse not to buy it. And they shoot it full of holes. Right. They're like, you know, if pricing is like twelve million, they're they're like, I'm at seven or seven and a half, and it's like, what? Like, <laughs> how? Um, 
So well, yeah, I don't. Everyone that's would love this, it at seven and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the debt. Of course you are. Um, so I, that's not necessarily not necessarily an example of a two way street, but. Um, but I, I think that the, maybe the lesson there is to uh, really paint an accurate picture of what your your buy box is and what your criteria is. Um, yeah, make sure you're clear on it too, because yeah. if you tell us something, we're gonna say we're gonna think. All right, what is how can I best serve this client? Cause that's what I'm trying to do every yeah. day is go out and make new friends and, and serve clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if that's what you tell me you want, help me understand why this doesn't fit. So how do you, um, what about do's and don'ts when it comes to vetting, like how a buyer presents themselves to you that would indicate whether they are serious or not? And, or even qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, we joke internally, um, <laughs> and it's probably not just, I bet it's all firms, but if you have a Gmail account and it's a random Gmail account, right? It's not even like associated with your business or something. Um, and you're saying, Hey, I want all these deals. And I've never talked to you before. <laughs> it's like axman91 at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, I, I had something like that the other day. And yeah. it was like Snoopy502 or something <laughs> like that. And like that's how it showed up on yeah. the, you know, that's how you can name your email. Right. That's how it showed up. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a hitter. This <laughs> yeah. is my guy. This guy's a shark. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so I, you know, it's all about how you present yourself in that yeah, manner. Yeah. Um, you know, like have a professional signature line, right, um, right. as it, a, for instance, like, yeah, well, that's, that's low hanging fruit because that absolutely, what, what people don't understand, what clients I think miss sometimes they're so focused on the deal that they forget that they're being interviewed by the broker when they are interacting with them. They just think, hey, I'm putting some seed out there. We'll see what sticks, mud on a wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every touch, you're establishing some kind of uh, reputation, good or bad. And it starts as small as what's your email signature like? Yeah. yeah. Do you even have one? Right. Um. You know, how is your interaction? Is it is it thoughtful or is it just I'm shooting from the hip and asking? A, like the worst is when we send out a deal, and I made a meme about it too. Um, we send out a deal, and great, I'm interested. What's the price? And we clearly have pricing guidance in <laughs> in in our pitch email, which means like they didn't there. even take the time to look at it. Right. And so it's like, if you can't even like skim through and yeah, everybody's busy, but that's why we put these pitch emails together and try and summarize it to the best of our ability so that we're trying to dumb it down for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a dead giveaway that, Oh, I'm definitely going to do a deal with this guy. Yeah. You know, he's coming in hot. Well, but what's the price? It's like, it's right there. One thing I, I want to, like I guess, help uh, clients connect as well is uh, when you start dealing in the commercial space, more like what percentage of deals are you a dual agent on some of these multifamily transactions? Uh, 99% of them. Okay, exactly. So when you're interacting, uh, when a client's interacting with you, they're actually interacting with the person that's representing the seller first, Yeah. right? And so- yeah. 
you'll obviously adhere to the dual agency that you need to, to be ethical and fair that way. But, uh, the seller is going to say, what do you think of these people? You know, are they credible? How legit is it? Because the worst thing that can happen is you advocate for a buyer that doesn't have their stuff together. Yeah. And then you get it under contract and the deal falls apart. You got egg and you've got face. egg on your face with your seller. Yeah. Yeah. I, we've had that happen and it is no fun. And it has soured some relationships. We've lost some listings recently because of that. And it's like, it wasn't my fault, but yeah. you know, they tend to remember whatever their own narrative, their own so, narrative. Yeah. And you're the point of contact yeah. for that, which, you know, right yeah. or wrong you are. And so that makes it tough. So, um, what, if, let's maybe, uh, flip it a little bit here and say, uh, what are some examples, maybe even use one of your clients as a case study of somebody who's come to you as a buyer that maybe you've established a relationship with. What were the things about them that were like, Hey, this is going to be a a repeat customer. They're actually going to be a like when I get a pocket listing, they're going to be on my short list to pick up the phone and call. Yeah, um, that's a good question because I've got a couple of these groups that I'm working with right now, and what I like to say is, <clears throat> it's like I'm walking around with a loaded gun. And what I mean by that is, I've got one group. Uh, they're a large capital fund. They have plenty of equity. They have you know, they have a well-known brand or or people behind the brand like, okay, all right, these guys are hitters. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, we need to go out and deploy all this equity. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go, you know, a group like that. I'm, I'm ready, willing, and able to go to work on their behalf Mm -hmm. and go sort actively sourcing deals. Um, I've got another one that we just closed a deal with. So that's the best way to build a relationship is to actually close a deal. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's the easiest way to do it. Um, and make the transaction as smooth as possible. But that's that's a different subject. Um, but, you know, it, they're articulate. They know what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. Um, and these are professional equity groups. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be hard for somebody that is trying to break in um, part time. Um, but you know, I had I had a, a guy reach out to me. And I've known him for since I got here, really. And he's had various um, jobs through his uh, through his time of of knowing me. And he reached out to me on Instagram, and he's like, "Hey, I want to get into buying multifamily." I was like okay, great. Can you be a little more specific? (laughs) Um, you know, do you have a price range? No, I don't. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like send me your email address. And I sent him, we have a, like a buyer intake form essentially. Right. Survey Mm -hmm. that says, what are you looking for? Um, and he responded and he's like, oh, I, I don't know the answer to a lot of those questions. So I need to, I need to do some more learning before I can effectively answer those. And I appreciated that because it's like, okay, like, yeah, yeah. You know, don't, don't waste my time. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and I think, um, oftentimes people view brokers as free resource. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And even if I'm not actively buying, I might call stash and I say, Hey, what's the market doing in Cincinnati? You know, what are the cap rates? You know, who are the big players and the lenders? They see you as a point of contact for that. And, and I'll be honest, this is again, transparent broker, you know, commercial agent moment that gets old. 
when somebody, especially when it's somebody who comes to you for information and that's really all they're after is information with no they send kind you an of, email with like 50 questions about the market and go do all like, this legwork pull co-star reports send them to me yeah uh, yeah and y- you know i think for most people i mean i'm really willing to do it for anybody you know but there comes a point where it's like hey you need to have some time invested in researching this market yourself right don't expect to get spoon-fed everything about the market. And that's not even to your benefit. I mean, we, you need to know what you're doing in this market, you know, on your own accord, because if you're going to be investing here, you need to be, you just need to be plugged in. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else yeah. on that, man, that sticks out that would just be constructive for a buyer uh, trying to build rapport with uh, a commercial broker? You know, if you're going to, so if you're going to ask a bunch of questions uh, to your exact point, make sure that they're for the purpose of educating your offer uh, and then actually write an offer that's, you know, mm-hmm. within striking distance. Because if you're far off, you know, it doesn't matter what size the deal is. It could be a million dollar deal or it could be a hundred million dollar deal. But if you're 20% off, don't bombard me with these questions. Right, right. And lead me to believe that, okay, if I answer all 20 of your questions, that's going to move the needle by 20% and you're going to be able to get there and then, and then be able to hold there and close Mm -hmm. there. Right. Yeah. So that's um, a challenging point. Um, Yeah. I think that's a, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, give me all these questions. I'm going to throw it in at 30% off a list price just to see what happens. We had an email the other day where it was like, Hey, I really like this property, really like this listing. I would like some more information about it. If I offer on it, it'll be well below asking price. We didn't even respond. <laughs> yeah, well, ex- you know what it was? It was like some bot that somebody was like, hey, we're going to run some kind of a bot that'll canvas LoopNet and just throw out these blanket emails and see if we can get some distressed seller to bite, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that's all that was. But we're like, okay. Yeah. but Sometimes no. I'll have some fun with those, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was looking to sell it for half of what it's listed for. You better act now. <laughs> They're like, great. Right. We're just going to need you to wire like $1,000 to an offshore account just to verify that we can actually <laughs> wire money from China, and then we will send the money. And yeah. uh, man, somebody out there probably has been duped by that. But um, no, that's constructive. Yeah, thank you. Because I go back and listen to this. If you're a buyer looking, it doesn't happen quickly. Okay. It's not transactional. This is what I'm saying is it's relational. And hopefully that's the takeaway is putting your effort into it, showing that you're credible, showing that you're serious, and then actually pursuing a relationship instead of just vomiting on an email or something and thinking that that's going to establish rapport with somebody. Business doesn't work like that in any arena and real estate is no exception. So boom. Yeah. All right. We're going to jump into our smaller pocket segment. So Stash, go ahead and tell us about one of your worst deals. It could be a personal real estate deal that you did, or it could be a a deal that you were a broker and a part of. Worst real estate deal, what happened, and then what did you learn from it? Um, So the one that, that first comes to mind is we were marketing a deal here in Cincinnati, um, it was a historic renovation asset and, um, we went through, we did our marketing, we pushed pricing, we, we got, uh, into contract. And one of the 
parts of the deals that it had a tax abatement on it. <clears throat> and we looked on the auditor. The auditor said 15 years. Um, the owner said, yeah, this is 15 years. It's 15-year abatement. We were in like year nine or something mm-hmm. like that. So it still had some tail left on it. Um, we got into due diligence. We told the buyer, yeah, still had a couple of years left. His offer was you know, written based off of it having a few years left on the abatement. And the abatement basically froze the taxes at a certain level as opposed to having it go up to full market value. Right. We got into due diligence and my seller calls me. He's like, Hey, we have a problem. Mm. I'm like, yeah, what's that? Hopefully we can overcome it. Um, he's like, we actually only have an eight year abatement. Oh, and I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and so what had happened is, you know, 10 years prior when they signed the abatement, their attorney hadn't closely read the fine print and everybody thought that it was a 15 year abatement, Oh wow! but it was just an eight year. And so they went back to the city to try and peti- petition them to say, Hey, you know, it even says on your website, the auditor's website, that right. this is a 15-year deal. Yeah. And what I learned after the fact was that if they had caught that during the initial term, during that initial eight wow. years, they they would have honored that, extended it. Yeah. Wow. But because it had already ex- expired, uh, sorry, nothing wow. we can do. Serious. And it's like, ugh. well, yeah. So, that, so then, were that you- fell apart. Oh, so the seller wasn't interested. The buyer wasn't interested in renegotiating or the seller would They were. They were. It it was just at that moment um they weren't willing to give the amount that they needed to give up to have bridged that gap. So it was a couple million dollar gap. I'm gonna like mm, go out on a man. limb and I'm gonna say that did that property sell for what it should have eventually it will yeah it will yeah that's tough yeah that is tough so i mean what's kind of the lesson there i mean how can someone navigate that i mean it's it seemed like you tried to do your due diligence and it yeah i i think you know we we did everything except ask for the abatement dock up front mm-hmm. you know we we did the calculation we looked on the auditor site which should be gospel but you know it's not um, so it's, you know, a trust, but verify sort of thing. Um, so the, the tax the abatement, lesson. uh, it not being in effect anymore, it moved the needle on the value of the property, like a couple million dollars. Yeah. So the, w- the way that lenders look at abatements and then the way that we look at abatements is that, is that it's a net present value calculation on the savings that you get, um, from the, the freezing of the taxes, right? So we had a few years left um, and we just said, okay, you're going to save like 150,000 a year. You apply uh, a discount rate, which is like a cap rate to the Mm -hmm. savings. And then you add up the, the discounted cash flow, and that's your value of your abatement. Wow. So, and then you add that on top of the value of the real estate. So you look at the real estate essentially fully taxed, but then you take the, the the method of the tax savings and you apply that discount rate to the to those savings that's that wild. gives you a, a cash value a cash value to the abatement 
Um, and then, you know, the tricky part about those is, okay, what's the discount rate that you apply? Because this mm-hmm. is a guaranteed thing. Like you should have a low discount rate, a low cap rate to mm-hmm. it. But, you know, in this rising interest rate environment, it used to be that we could get away with like a 5% discount rate. And now it's like a, it's like a seven and that two point spread is it's meaningful. Yeah. It's significant. Wow. So you're saying the lender will actually recognize uh, the abatement on top of the value of the real estate and base their lending off of that total cumulative value. Uh, don't quote me, but yes, I think I think that's how they do it, and wow. it depends on the lender. But right, sure. When we were first getting into deals that had tax abatements, we asked a bunch of lenders, like, "How do you guys look at this?" Because yeah, right, because we're I, trying I'm to underwrite and advise our clients. We need to know how. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's good. All right, man, we're going to go and transition into what we call our little nugget. So, Stash, you know, have you ever seen the movie Zootopia? I have kids, so I watch it probably too no. frequently. All right, well, there's this sloth in there, and his, <laughs> okay. his name's Flash. And then the main character's like, Flash, Flash, 100-yard dash. And I'm going to call it Stash, Stash, 100-yard dash. Let's I don't know go. if you're fast or not, but... I'm not I'm strong, <laughs> but I'm not fast. Yeah, you got some fast-looking cars in the background there, so we'll just, yeah, you know. That's exactly. True. That's true. You're like, never never say that again. Um, all right, so give us a practical takeaway, piece of advice um, for our, our real estate investors that they can apply to their business. Maybe something outside of what we talked about so far. Yeah, so the, the thing that always sticks in my mind uh, is I was touring a deal with a large developer this guy had built twenty thousand litech units Whoa. over his career that's a that's a bit and yeah and he had so i think he had sold the practice and he retired down to florida um but this was back in i think it was 2013 um 2012 or 2013 and he said something to me that has stuck and it's if you offer tenants a clean safe place to live and you respond to their maintenance requests you'll always have tenants because Mm. this property it had high vacancy um and i was worried i was like bill like what what are you gonna do and that was his advice and that has stuck with me and then i've seen clients of ours deliver on that and they've even taken it to a, a step further than that and what they have done is they offer a clean, safe place to live and they respond to maintenance requests, but they also offer the nicest apartments in whatever submarket they're in. So like they'll go into the West side of Cincinnati, which has historically been known as a, a bit more challenging place, but they'll take something that has been written hard and put away wet and they'll shine it up and they'll mm-hmm. put new cabinets and fixtures and, and all this and, and, and make it as new as, as you can for a sixties or seventies built product. Mm. And they will command the, what happens is that if we're marketing a deal for them, they're their own rent comp, either their other properties or, uh, the, the subject property itself. Um, so that is something that also stands out to Mm. me. And that's something that I'm replicating. I'm doing a, a six unit. I'm renovating. It's a shell and I'm, building it from the studs out and you know my pro forma rents are higher than um there are some comps that will support it but they're higher than the old stuff across the street but i'm following that same philosophy and i feel very confident in what i'm going to be able to deliver 
Wow. Um, so clean yeah, place, safe to live, respond to maintenance requests and offer a nice product. Yeah. Yeah. If you have the best product in the market, as long as you don't over improve it, right. You're going to, you're going to have your pick of the best tenants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Um, and concise too. I feel like anybody can execute on that. Um, well, simple. it helps simplify property management. People kind of get headaches thinking about property management and, um, about, you know, dealing with tenants, but it's like, man, if you are offering a good product, you're going to attract good tenants. So I think, I think the, the challenge with property management is being capital constrained, you know, especially if you're coming in from out of, out of state and you're trying to parachute in and then hire a third party property manager and do it on the cheap. Like that's a recipe for uh, failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's well said as well. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, we're going to kind of land the plane here, but one more question before, uh, I want to talk about some of, of what you're doing on the prop tech side of things that people may yeah. not know about before we, uh, talk about that. What's been like one of the best resources in your business development? Um, what do you mean? Like a, a tool or? Yeah, it could be a person. It could be a book. It could be your coaching that you did through Massimo. It could, you know, something. could be this podcast. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> I mean, we're not forcing anything, but just organically. Um, yeah, I think, I think the thing that really moved the needle for me, because I was at an inflection point when I, when I hired the coaching, uh, I was like, I got to give it one more shot. And if it doesn't work after I hire this coach, then I'm out like six grand. But if it does, then I've fulfilled, you know, my, my goal my dream or mm -hmm. destiny, whatever you want to call it. So I think that, and I've gone on and off with the coaching. I'm currently not involved in the program, but I still endorse it to anybody that would, uh, investigate it. I think that, um, whether it's, it's Massimo or, or I wouldn't say any other, but any other credible coaching organization. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of guys out there. I think it's valuable because think about like, you guys look like you probably played sports growing up. Like imagine playing football without a coach. Like that would be terrible. Right. Like <laughs> everyone you wouldn't know what around. to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they're there to help, you know, guide you. Cause the way I think of life sometimes it's like I'm face up against a fishbowl. And what the coach is able to do is they're looking at you from, you know, behind mm. and, or from, from a removed perspective and they're able to say, okay, well, this is what you should do. So I think that has been the best thing in terms of business development, um, or career advancement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, all right, man, tell us about what, uh, what you're doing on the prop tech side. Tell us what prop tech is for somebody who's not heard that phrase and then what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm still learning, I think the exact definition, I think it's a little bit nebulous, but, um, so in being a broker, I'm sure you guys have had this occurrence where you'll, the game of a broker is you've got a thousand contacts that are in your Rolodex and you're calling on them, you know, at diff differing intervals. And what will happen is you're talking to somebody, you're doing the intervals, you're adding value, or you think you are to the relationship. Then all of a sudden you see a, a, a listing pop up with a competitor, or you see a sale come through, maybe it was off market. And it's like, 
what happened? I, I was just talking with that guy. Yeah, I was in the hunt to get that or be a part of that. Yeah. Like I was in the running or, or like he didn't even tell me that he was considering selling it. And I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> like, right. Uh, there are many mind baff- baffling things. And so what I found was in doing my prospecting, if you just say, Hey, sir, Mr. Owner, you've got 20 properties in your portfolio. Are you interested in selling any of them? The automatic human reaction is no. Mm-hmm. But if you say, uh, you know, I've got a client who's interested in this particular property, they're either going to say, yeah, okay, I would be willing to talk about that one, or uh, maybe not that one, but what about this one over here? And so you can have much more meaningful conversations that way. And I was like, okay, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. How do you figure out which properties somebody might consider selling without calling them every time and say, and going through each one of them, right? right? Cause that's right. annoying. That's not practical. Um, so my thought was, I was using the CRM system and it was great because it captured so many data points and all, all these things, but it only looked in reverse. And I was like, well, what if you could use all this data to, uh, look forward and, and to predict mm-hmm. which deals might transact. And so that was the hypothesis that we went out and chased. And um, I had a I, I had a friend come to me. He's um, a senior vice president, senior vice president in charge of data and analytics for a company here in town. And I pitched him, and he's like, "Yeah, sure, let's let's try it." And so we tested it out, and we found that you know when we were first doing it on Excel spreadsheets. 20 leads, they would give me seven or eight of them would be somehow in play. I would have it listed. We would be valuing it. A competitor would have it listed. It's like, okay, like we're onto something. Mm -hmm. So we went and built out a platform. Um, It's called Needle, N-E-D-L.us is our landing page. And what we've done is we've cataloged every single property in the United States, um, 50 units and up Mm. in all the major, major metros. I'll caveat that. Um, and we've assigned a ranking to most of them. We've assigned them either hot, warm, cold, or no ranking at all. And what I'm finding consistently, I'm in it. I use it all all the time is like, we just did an underwriting on an 800 unit property and I looked and it was flagged as hot. Wow. And it's like, wow. And I like, I can't touch the rating. Like, I don't know how the sausage is made. Wow. Uh, That's hilarious. So it's so, a self-learning supercomputer that tells you <laughs> how to find deals. <laughs> yeah. The The goal is to be able to help brokers, um, acquisitions people, yeah. uh, asset managers, and, and lenders um, be more efficient with their time. Because the way it works now, you've got a number of large data companies that uh, are litigious. So I'm not going to mention them by name, but they know who they are. Yeah. And you know, they just say, "Hey, here's all the data." But there's no forward looking to it. And that's what we're trying to that is what we're doing. In mm-hmm. fact, not trying, that is what we're doing. How long so, has this been kind of operational for you guys? Yeah, so we back tested the models in for 21 and 22 and we found that we were about 45% accurate. Um we finalized kind of like the platform and rolled out the beta testing in September. Wow. 45% so, still like pretty, pretty darn high. I mean, oh, you, like if you could yeah. reach out to 50 leads and get 45%, I 
within six months, that would be pretty incredible. Right. So, you know, and, and then it's just about messaging and your relationship. Yeah. How um, to work those leads. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to be incorporating into the platform. Wow. Um, but that's so, so, all right, give us, uh, you know, just kind of how can people maybe follow needle in the development of that? Um, are you guys, how do you drop an updates? How do people kind of see the developments there? As you um, that up? yeah, so it's going to be a, a SaaS model, um, software as a service. Um, if you want to get a demo, I'd be happy to run you through it. it again, it's at nedl.us, needle.us, our landing page. And at the bottom, you can sign up for, you can submit an inquiry that will come to me and then I'll send you a calendar and we'll find a time. Cool. Um, we'll put that link in the show it. notes here. Yeah, that'd be great. What are some other outlets that people can follow you just on the other things you got going on? Yeah, so I've I've started a podcast called the Stashcast where we have interesting nice. conversations with interesting people. Um, the Stashcast, yeah, you're really playing off the brand. I, I yeah, that's good. That's good. When well, my when I first boring, got so yeah, when I first got started, I I branded all my emails sell with stash, like it was <laughs> sell with stash, the number of units and where it was. <laughs> you know, you have kind of a face too, where like you ever see people do like the outline of a face, but there's like a notable quality that if somebody saw your spectacles yeah. and just like your curly hair and a mustache, they'd be like, oh, that's stash. That's what I should do. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome, dude. That's my logo. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got that, which is on Spotify and we're all, you know, premium podcasts are sold. Um, and then LinkedIn, I'm pretty active there. Um, I'm putting out like reels essentially from the content from the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and I mean, Facebook's more like for my wife and all that, but isn't it weird to say that now you're like, Oh, if you're like an older millennial, I'm on Facebook. Um, but if you're relevant, then you'll reach me through TikTok or LinkedIn. So, right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, cool, man. Well, we'll put those links again, uh, in the show notes. One of the cool things about our podcast is we try to expose our investors and our, our, um, a listener base to different people who are killing it in the commercial real estate space and all things real estate investing. So guys, uh, go check it out. Um, go poke around on needle and, uh, yeah, dude, thanks for coming on and debunking some of these things on how people can approach brokers successfully. So, yeah. And then I forgot our, our brokerage website, it's capstone dash companies.com. So if you want to see all of our, all of our listings, um, that's the best way to go and do it. And then uh, please, if you do that, do not call him and actually do one of the things that we said to do not like not to do. That would be embarrassing for us. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right. right. Man. Thanks for coming on, Stash. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. As always, excited that you joined us on another episode of the Reinvest Podcast. If this episode added to your tool belt or left you feeling inspired, go ahead and share it with a friend. Stay tuned every Tuesday for new episodes. And if you want to get in touch with us, go to our LinkedIn or Facebook profiles and shoot us a message. Move farther, reach higher, and grow deeper. See you next time.